Anybody need a handout? I got some fresh handouts. Uh, it's the same. Yeah, it is a new one. Yeah, I've moved on to. So we all need a handout, don't we? So there you go. Hey, no problem. Thank you, Kevin. Mr. Kevin, are you a handout guy? All right, you guys doing handouts? Have I met you before? No. Nice to meet you. I'm Brian. So, what is it? Colin. Hi, Colin. Nice to meet you. All right. <clears throat> All right, guys. So we're in the book of First uh, Timothy, chapter. Oh, Jeff, you need a handout. Man, this is. I'm so encouraged. I'm down to my last handout. <laughs> So that's a good problem to have. All right, so uh, we're talking about uh, building people who build churches and individual discipleship, which is really what the theme of... Uh, oh, I have two handouts. I lied. So I got two handouts. Uh, that's really what First Timothy is all about, is Timothy is Paul's son in the Lord, and we covered that a few weeks ago. And so if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, let's jump back into Timothy and... Uh, Go ahead and start in verse 1, but we'll read down through verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse verse 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Uh, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned Uh, this is where we're going to pick up the text tonight from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully knowing this that the law is not made for the righteous man but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly for sinners for the unholy and for profane for murderers of fathers murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, uh, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Heavenly Father, I just uh, want to pray once again for, thank you for Ron's uh, singing and leadership, Lord, in, in that tonight. Thank you for your praises uh, in your name, Lord, and the songs that you put in our hearts. Uh, thank you for this epistle by Timothy, or by Paul to Timothy, regarding uh, his son in the Lord and the instructions that he has as you're building, uh, as Paul was building him to continue to build the church as uh, history has it, he continued in Ephesus to his death. Lord, may we be faithful uh, unto the end and, and uh, of, our, of our walk with you here on this earth. And uh, Lord, keep our foot from slipping. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, these uh, things that we talk about tonight would encourage us in, uh, in our walk with you. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the day we've had today. Thank you for the peace of God that passes understanding and the person of peace and the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, uh, you know, when you think about motivation, um, what motivates someone who has everything, you know? Uh, and in the case of Timothy, uh, you know, well, let me back up on that. Uh, hey, you need this? Okay. Um, 
she knows how to get the notes if she needs them. So, uh, so when everybody, if you have everything, what motivates you to give everything? Let me ask that question. What if you think about that? If you have everything, what get, what motivates you to give everything? Did you say love over there? I thought so. Yeah, I mean it's got to be love. It's love, and um, and so we're going to consider tonight. Um, that very thing as we look at these passages so uh last week we saw training in ministry involves training influential ministers our relationship with the lord our relationship to the law and our relationship to the lost and so tonight we're going to be looking at our relationship to the law is to be loving uh to be lawful and to be liberating to be loving lawful and liberating so our first point of study here is our relationship with the law is to be loving right Uh, god has everything and uh, he gave everything uh, for those who have nothing. It, it benefits him nothing. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. That's just a beautiful thought to consider um, how much God loves us. It's, it's, it's incredible, really. Um, and so in verse 5, Paul says, Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And so, really, at the end of the day, the end of the commandment is charity. Now, we've already read the text. We know that he talks about the law and what its uses are for. And, of course, the law brings judgment on those who cannot keep it. But Paul starts off before he jumps into that by saying the end of the commandment is charity. Now, God knows the only person who's actually going to be able to fully keep the law is, well, the lawgiver, Shiloh, Jesus Christ. He's the one who keeps the law for us and loves us and fulfills the law for us. So uh, if you're feeling that thesis, the thesis is our relationship with the law should be loving because the law is fulfilled in, in uh, Christ, which is probably, now you've already figured that out. So loving is filled in the, there twice, loving and loving. right? Our relationship with the law is to be loving. And uh, that's because... The law should be loving because the law is fulfilled in Christ. Our relationship with the law should be loving because it's fulfilled in Christ. So the end of the commandment is charity um, in, in point A. So where did the commandment begin? It started with one commandment in the Garden of Eden. Right, and we talked about that this morning. Don't eat of the fruit of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis two seventeen is what God said. Just one simple commandment is all He asked. Right, all you got to do, and we know later, many centuries later. 4,000 years later, Jesus is on the earth, and he says, Hey, if you love me, what do you got to do? Give me my commandments, right? And so he, he like started off pretty small when it was just Adam. He's like, Okay, Adam, uh, I get this. You're on training wheels compared to me. I'm God. You're not. So here, let me make it easy. Let me give you all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat, right? I mean, Nico, you spend a lot of time out in the wild. There's a lot of variety a lot of fishes in the sea a lot of trees in the field you can have them all right i'm not i'm not hindering anything every one of them but one right there's just the one tree and uh that's the only one you can't have right there's only one tree and that one commandment is all it was and he didn't say you couldn't touch it right he just said you can't eat of it so if you want to you know squish it and make paint that's fine i don't care if you want to tie dye your clothes with it i don't care what you do with it just don't eat it Right, he had all this liberty, right, and so, uh, and it was all about love. If you love me, just keep that one thing. <laughs> and uh, boy, that didn't go well, did it? And so, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy mind, all thy soul, and all thy mind. That's what Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says. 
and it, it took all, it, it's really just a wholehearted expression of, of our love for God. Now, Adam broke the only commandment he had, and Jesus fulfilled them all and gave us that great commandment. Isn't that interesting? So today, it's back kind of to one commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And that's, oh, how hard is that? I don't know. I struggle with that. You guys struggle with being wholehearted? And uh, I was just talking to someone today about financial matters. And, and uh, you know, it, it's not about, it's just like priority. You know, priority number one is where is God in your priority of giving? You know, so you talk about a budget and, and how much money God gives you. How much of that do you give back to the Lord? You know, I'm not saying you got a tithe. How much do you give? Back to the Lord. How do you how do you prioritize Him in your things? That, all the money He's given you, how much do you give back to Him? We and we're not God, right? We have we don't always give all, and we don't always have all. <laughs> God is all in all, but but you know what? We have some because God's given us all that we do have, so we could give some back. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say that to motivate people. This was actually fi- some financial counseling because when this person had a tight budget and and it's like in their budget and their planning and their savings you know what wasn't in their budget tithing or giving it all and the thing is well i don't have enough to give well you don't have enough not to give it's not about how much you give it's a priority i don't care if it's a dollar or ten dollars start somewhere and trust the lord to go from there right because it's a principle that he gave all so give back right so god has given us everything literally we are born again he says, hey, just love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And uh, not in that order, in uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, it's all thy heart, soul, and mind. But Adam broke that one commandment, and now we have the great commandment. And so, uh, and so in a spiritual sense, we're rolling with that. Uh, point B, notice the location of this discussion as well in verse 5. It is the fifth verse. And I, if you know me, I like working these numbers, because what's the number 5 represent? Death and grace, but one more attribute of five, if you think about it. How many books in the first... What, what's the first five books of the Bible? Yeah, the law. First five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the, considered the Pentateuch. You hear the Pentagon, right? Five sides. The Pentateuch is what those books are called, authored by Moses. Um, we call them the Pentateuch. There's the first five Bibles. We call it the law, right? Uh, and so in this fifth verse, he brings up the law. And, um, and, and so the number five always represents the law, but also represents death. And in a certain sense, it represents grace because Jesus Christ died on the cross to fulfill the law for us. And so it's also grace. You have not heard that? Okay, I didn't know. You cocked your head. I was like, oh, I said something Jeff doesn't agree with. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, but no, it does. It can represent all three of those things. Bollinger adds him as grace, if you're looking for an outside reference on that, which we just go to the Bible. But uh, So number five is important in the Bible. And in this fifth verse, we see him dealing with the law. So the first five books of Scripture, of course, as I've mentioned, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the law, Pentateuch. Uh, the first Adam, who could not, <laughs> he could not keep one commandment is found dead in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5 right 5 5 so he's in the, he's dead uh, just shy of 1,000 years just like God said so in Genesis 2 17 he says the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die so literally spiritually he died that day 
and he was out of fellowship with God immediately. Uh, but then it took it before a thousand years were over, 930 years, a day at the Lord is a thousand years, he died. And we find in Genesis 5 and verse 5, uh, that verse, that he died at 930 years old, shy of a day. And so those are things that are just cool in the Bible. I love that stuff. All the days that Adam lived were 930, and he died, is Genesis 5.5. So Adam died spiritually in a day uh, after he ate of the tree, and Adam died physically within one millennial day. And so just uh, Jesus, the last Adam, died physically in one literal day. Right, As he said, it is finished on the cross. That day completed his atonement, so he is not suffering perpetually in, uh, in uh, purgatory or hell, right, or on the cross. Uh, who teaches that? Who teaches that Jesus is suffering perpetually? Does anybody know? Yeah, Ron knows. He grew, you grew up with that, didn't you, Ron? Yeah, so, uh, so Jesus is that's a heresy. Uh, multiple times in Hebrews and, and obviously in the Gospels, Jesus died, Hebrews says, once for sin. Right. So when he died on the cross, he died that day. And it's also consistent, though, over the, over the whole of the Bible, he died once. And he died that day. Now, um, it is interesting that he also, uh, when he comes back triumphantly and takes over the planet at the end of the tribulation and he sets up his millennial reign, he reigns for 1,000 years. So he reverses the curse, right? Adam couldn't keep that one law and it, and it, uh, and it broke humanity. But Jesus restores humanity and then he fulfills what Adam couldn't uh, do. And that's why he's the last Adam. Jesus, the last Adam, will return physically and restore his kingdom and start his eternal reign with an inaugural 1,000 thousand year reign in the millennium and so that's pretty cool stuff i think i just think god's word's awesome so jesus fulfilled the law point c because he loved the father and the father loved the world so look over take your bible and look over in leviticus chapter 19 the well-worn pages of leviticus i mean when you need comfort you always go to leviticus um not so it's kind of funny, though. I actually have this part of Leviticus really marked. There is a lot in Leviticus. Actually, I'm not one of those people that don't like Leviticus, but there are some people that just can't take Leviticus. Uh, it's hard to read through for them, but whatever. So Leviticus 19, look down here in verse 18. It says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against uh, the children of thy, thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So Jesus, he he used the law to manifest the love, uh, the love, his love. I should be more specific to the world. So as he hung on the cross, he chose to apply mercy instead of justice. And so uh, Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And they parted his raiment and cast lots. So he chose, right, when Jesus was fulfilling the law, he chose to apply mercy instead of justice. Aren't we glad? I mean, I'm glad he didn't apply justice in his first coming. Now, he will at his second coming. But in his first coming, he says, you know what, I'm going to select Leviticus. I'm going to love my neighbor instead of justly destroy them because I could. He could. He was rejected. He was despised. It was blasphemy for them to say that Jesus Christ was not God. And to call him Satan, by the way. So he could have justly, he really could have justly just torched him if he felt like it. But he didn't. Instead, he chose to love because he chose to fulfill the law with charity, uh, at least at his first coming. 
And so I saw something yesterday, and, I, 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 and I'm glad I can say something positive um, about some of the things I saw. I've had a really weird weekend, so pray for me, really. I'm, I'm kind of messed up um, over this funeral I did. I really am. You could ask Amy. I, I've just been obsessing over it, haven't I? Just constantly talking about it. Um, so Thursday night, this uh, I get stopped before I leave the office, and this uh, this family's in turmoil. Um, their their sister slash daughter, the mom and the brother were here, and their their daughter slash sister got uh, got murdered on a week ago Tuesday, and they they suddenly found out they didn't have a preacher. They needed a preacher. They literally just came here and caught me as I was getting ready to leave the parking lot. And so uh, so anyway, I tell you all that to say. Um, during the funeral, um, I didn't have a lot of time to process it. That was Thursday night, and then Friday, and then Saturday, it was on. You know, so I'm trying to have a word fitly spoken. So I, I elected. I said, you know what? Uh, and I knew at a funeral like this, it could get crazy having an open eulogy where you know people come up and share but it's also cathartic the girl was only 27 a girl she's a woman um but you know all these young people were there um and i'm like you know let's just trust the lord with this the family was down with it and so um as it opened up it started with thomas the brother and family members primarily and close friends which is appropriate and they all said fairly appropriate things and um and then, then the uh oh, then the floodgates open, right? And everybody starts coming, and uh, and one of the people that came was the actual sister of the man who's allegedly shot the female, and she comes up and and I mean I'm like oh my, I don't know if this is good or bad, and she says I. And she says it. I don't feel like I should be here. I don't feel like I should speak because my, what my brother did uh, to this girl. But I just want you to know I'm so sorry. And I feel horrible about it. And I love you guys. And you know what? The, what do you think the family did? Huh? They they did. That is the right. That is, thank God, that is what they did. They broke down. Uh, you can't hear you in the back. They broke down in tears and they got up and they hugged her. I haven't told you this yet, Aim. So they got up and they hugged uh, the her and they told her what the Bible says, whether they knew the Bible or not. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they don't. Uh, they hugged her and they said, Listen, you are not responsible for your brother's actions. We love you uh, as you are. And I'm watching this going, wow, uh, praise God, that went well, and uh, as, good, as well as it could go. And so why do I bring that up? Because as I look at this, that's Jesus chose to love. He, he could have he chose to, to judge justly, right? But he, uh, he didn't hold them, her, us accountable for our sin. Uh, he paid that price uh, and took that upon himself so we could be reconciled to his Father. And so... And so Luke 23, verse 34 says, And Jesus then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted uh, his raiment and cast lots. I mean, the only way that you can forgive uh, is, is love. And there were some pretty angry, angry, and justly angry, justifiably angry people at that, uh, at that, in that situation. And it took a lot of courage for that young lady to get up in that environment. And uh, offer her condolences and try to, um, you know, and, and just say she was sorry uh, for everything that 
that happened and so on and so forth. And I felt for her too. I felt really bad. It's really bad. There's just no good way to end that kind of situation. It's a bad situation all the way around. But love is always appropriate. And man, that was that was a beautiful moment in that in that situation. Incidentally, in Leviticus 19, we're still in chapter 19. Look down at verse 19. Right? We looked at 18. Um, um, interestingly, 666, he became a curse for us. But that's another thing. Verse 19, uh, ye shall keep the statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse uh, kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Neither uh, shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. Wow. Um, what's all that about? It's no coincidence that the spotless lamb who cleanses us in, the, in his blood and his is clothed in light uh, uh, has Roman soldiers parting his garments. The only hope for Gentile powers of this world is through the Jewish Savior. The sooner they learn that it is the better. And it's an interesting thing. So Jesus chose two simple commandments to fulfill the law. Uh, verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. Leviticus 19.18, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And the world hates him. Jesus is spotless. He is a spotless lamb. His coat is pure. You know, his, he is not, he was completely pure. And he fulfilled also uh, verse 19 as well. He he was completely, uh, he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And those Roman soldiers, they just parted his garment. They tore his coat apart. Um, but to no avail. Jesus has already conquered sin and death. Jesus taught the leadership of Israel. Uh, the end of the law was charity, right? In Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. Uh, he, after putting the Sadducees to silence by using the law to combat their ignorance, he then te- uh, he is then tempered by a lawyer, or tempted, I should say, not tempered, tempted by a lawyer, and Jesus lays down uh, what we call the great commandment, which we uh, would, uh, which he would soon fulfill in their very sight, in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-four through forty. And I mentioned that as a reference. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake. I've got to finish up here in a second. Luke 10, 25, another reference that should be on your notes. Um, in that passage, Jesus teaches a lawyer who wants to find a loophole to eternal life that it must come from a pure heart. We talked about a pure heart this morning. Go and do thou likewise, he says. And he teaches a lawyer that when uh, he can love like a half-breed Samaritan, right, he will be able to inherit eternal life. What a slam in that guy's face. You know, so Jesus is full of charity, but he doesn't mince words when it comes to how to love. So he uses this uh, this uh, he, the story of the Good Samaritan, which many of you know, right? And then he's like, hey, you, you want to play games with me? How do you need to love? You need to love like that Samaritan, you Jew. Uh, and uh, and so, and I think a lot of these stories that Jesus was telling, all I don't, some of these parables I think were probably literal stories, uh, and some of them weren't parables, like Luke 16 wasn't a parable that was a story that was something that was going on uh complete with names recorded for our benefit it doesn't when there's a parable he says this is a parable if he doesn't say it's a parable it's not a parable so anyway he tells that man that pharisee or that lawyer i should say rather go and do likewise and he teaches a lawyer that when he cannot love like a half-breed samaritan is able to love then when he he's not gonna he's not gonna get an eternal life until he can he can love like somebody that he doesn't esteem highly 
Because that person that doesn't esteem, he doesn't esteem highly, has more love than he does. And so the man didn't want eternal life, he just wanted to justify himself. And this gets back to my point in Timothy. Okay, where am I going with all this? Well, he says, hey, charity. The end of the law is this, right? It's charity out of a pure heart. And so Jesus is a lover. Uh, but he's also a fighter. Luke ten twenty seven. A lover wants to to rest in God's character, right? He wants to he wants to rest in God's character. He's a lawyer too. <clears throat> the lawyer is a legislator. In Luke ten twenty eight, a legislator wants to rest and rely upon his own character, at least the one in Luke ten, uh, and he would rather justify himself with questions than clean himself with obedient faith. And so the only good lawyer is Jesus. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That's a bad thing to say. But uh, Jesus is a lawyer who, who is very uh, much not just one to apply the law and know the law, but to keep the law himself. And so uh, he's a good lawyer uh, and, because he's a loving lawyer and he's a loving God. He's not just a lawyer. He's a lawgiver. All right. But he is our advocate, right? First John 2 and verse 2. So Jesus is the personification of love. Uh, what the lawyer could not do, Jesus did. And so now our faith is not in the commandment, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, that's really a sub-sermon inside of this message. But Paul, preaching in Antioch, in Poseidon, not Syria, in Acts thirteen thirty-eight through 39 said this. He said, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and, and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. And so Paul is preaching to people who understood the law, telling them that, listen, it's through Jesus Christ that you are justified uh, because you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Only Jesus can justify you. And so Peter taught that Jesus was the end of the commandment for salvation as well. Uh, Peter, the apostle to the, uh, to the Jews and the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, settled the issue of salvation by grace through faith alone publicly among the disputing Jews who were saved, yet desired to add works to the law uh, for salvation. And so let's look at that real quick, and we'll, we're moving back toward our text, and then we'll be done for the night. Um, but in, in Acts chapter 15... Um, and verse 9 I kind of took a detour for a minute are you guys tracking with me on this law and the love of Jesus okay Acts, Acts 15 and verse 9 the Bible says here somebody want to read that I'm always reading Yeah, that's the key verse. I'm sorry. Let's look at... Can you read 6 through 11? I'm, I meant to... Yeah. 11. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when they had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our Father nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. And it's interesting how in verse 11, he says, we will be saved even as they. 
And salvation came through the Jews. It came through Jesus. But he says those Gentiles, and he's referring back to when Cornelius came and, and he was preaching and they got saved. And I mean, the Holy Spirit just came upon them. And next thing you know, um, you know, they, they, these folks are saved. So he's, he's understanding. Peter's finally getting the message that salvation is by grace through faith. In the finished work of Christ alone. And so, um, and he says that, you know, verse 9 there, put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. The issue is the heart, and it's it's an issue of believing God's word and receiving it. And of course, he was able to witness that. They, as a sign to the Jews that were gathered, when they heard the message of Christ, uh, the Gentiles got, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and then they were baptized, which is how it still goes today uh, in the Gentile world. So the Apostle John also contributed. In 1 John 3, uh, he said in verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, even as he gave us commandment. We covered that pretty thoroughly in our time in 1 John. Over and over again, the great commandment comes up. So Paul said it this way to the Galatians in uh, chapter 2 and verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's interesting. Not the faith in Jesus, faith of Jesus Christ. I think newer translations mess that up, by the way. Uh, even as we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So it's because Jesus is faithful. We've been justified. Let me kind of unpack that for you. So it's not like we got a grunt and groan. If I just have enough faith, I'm saved. No, you just simply put your faith in what Jesus already was faithful in. He is what has redeemed us. So we believe in Him and on Him, as I talked about a couple weeks ago. We believe on the Lord Jesus because He has done what's necessary for us to be saved. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by And there's the key word, love, 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 love. Faith is working by love. So what does that mean? When we we receive the gospel, we believe what the Bible says. That's an act of love because we believe the commandment. We believe what the Bible says is necessary to be saved, is to put our faith in the finished work of Christ. That is an act of love to receive the gospel. And it's an act of faith as well. And uh, both of those things will definitely garner grace that gets us saved for all of eternity as the Holy Ghost confirms that when he seals our soul until the day of redemption. So uh, I'm going to try to get to point two here. So let me hurry up here and put this in next gear. Point D, Paul lists three things that uh, produce charity in the life of a Christian. Number one, you can probably guess it. What do you think number one is? A pure what? A heart, right, which is given to you when you get saved. Peter, speaking of the one uh, true baptism of the Holy Ghost, said in First Peter three twenty one, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. He's not talking about getting in the water, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's not talking about getting wet. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The second one is a good. What do you think? Conscience, very good, man. You're all over it, Ron. All right, you are. So, um, a good conscience is the the uh, the indication uh, of a clean mind and a faithful heart. So, the mind is closely correlated with the conscience in Scripture. So, to be filled with the Scripture, coupled with a pure heart, gives us a good conscience. Sadly, this is an increasingly hard to thing that's hard to come by as the days grow more evil. And I do think that this morning when I talked about that chart. That the 
the information versus the uh, the agitation that it causes the soul of the lost person, not just the saved, but definitely the saved as well, uh, is part of the issue of attacking our conscience. We just there's only so much information we can deal with, and when we're we're constantly being bombarded. Uh, with information, it affects our conscience. Um, and so uh, so a good conscience is the indication of a clean mind and a faithful heart. So I do think more and more, it's probably good for us to be a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say ascetic because uh, that's the wrong word, but a little bit more focused on fasting, not just of food, but perhaps our minds, setting our minds apart, sanctifying our hearts and minds on the information that's most necessary and important. Because you could spend your days, you could spend, a, there's so much information. You got more information. I saw a statistic over the weekend as I was studying some of this that, that there, you know, kings and and generals and people you read about in history that have made monumental decisions and done incredible things, right? The most affluent and the most uh, educated of the world. Uh, you have more you have more information on your iPhone than they had. I mean, you can just get whatever you want whenever you want. You're reading, you're you're absorbing more information than people who lived uh, the last six thousand years or yeah, six thousand years of history. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Yeah, we really need to be careful about our minds right now. I, I was shocked that the statistic, that's why I put on our website that document today, because I was shocked at, at the very, and this is 2019 is where that study stopped. I think it's gotten worse since 2019. Uh, and so uh, it's a, it's fascinating what's happening, what's with the, the impact. I sound like an old Baptist preacher, you know, but... Uh, and centered because they didn't have all this stuff coming in. I mean, you know, they could choose because there wasn't that much to look at to choose from. Yes, and uh, to presume that a, and I said that this, you know, this morning, I'm kind of getting off, but it's a good discussion to have because it's very relevant. Um, to assume that vo- voluminous amounts of information make the information more important would be false. Right, because just because the founding fathers, let's say, of this nation, they may not have had internet access, but they sure had a rich repository of information. So what they did choose to study was way, way more valuable than what we choose to spend our time. Yeah, doing the hard work. Yeah, the hard work of thinking. <laughs> yeah, and researching. And and obviously, I just read Thomas Paine's... Uh, hang on just a second. I just read Thomas Paine's... Uh, uh, what's it called? Common Sense. Huh? It really is. It's a pamphlet that circulated through the colonies before the revolution. And... Uh, so I skimmed it. Let me be honest. <laughs> I did not read it word for word, but I did skim it last because this was last night. I only have so much time. But uh, uh, but I was skimming Thomas Paine's Common Sense. But that's my point is it's rich. I'm thinking, wow, here's a little, quote, pamphlet. And it is plumbing the depths of a lot of issues. <laughs> I'm telling you, it'd be good to republish that thing. Yeah, Ron, I don't mean to go off on a tangent too far. So, uh, <clears throat> Deep fake 
Nope. Deep fake. So this hasn't got nothing to do with Donald Trump, I hope. <laughs> I have actually heard of a deep fake. It's like when the quarterback drops back and he fakes it, and then he goes deep. It's a, different a different deep fake. Okay. So essentially, they take, they take video, and they've got this new technology now that you essentially it recreates the actual person saying not what they actually said. I have seen that. Yes, I have. Can you guys hear him in the back? Okay, they can hear you. That's fascinating. And essentially, they're going to use it to... Essentially, it will be... I mean, I'm convinced it will be used by the Antichrist to fake people out and and, uh, make them believe a lie. Oh, I, I certainly think that's possible. Uh, deep fake. Well, it may be more advanced than just video before it's over with. It's, uh, that's interesting, Ron. I had not. I have actually seen a clip of that where they have taken presidents and manipulated them to say whatever they wanted. So I have actually seen examples of that, but I hadn't heard the term deep fake. Well, I said I was going to finish this up real quick, and here I am going off on a good conscience for quite some time. Titus one fifteen says, "Under the pure, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing." pure. When our conscience gets defiled, everything gets defiled. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled, Titus, is what Paul said to Titus. Also, in this very book of 1 Timothy, back in our text, in chapter 4 and verse 1, Timothy says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to uh, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So their conscience is cut off. Boom. So uh, when you see or something, it's damaged. Their conscience gets damaged. uh, And uh, God allows that because uh, in the latter times, people are going to depart from the faith. And God forbid that God gives us what we want. With his, which is life apart from Him. And I don't mean us that are saved, but what our flesh wants. Uh, I was just teaching this in HBI. We're wrapping up the semester in Revelation and going back to that section where it talks about the wind stops, you know. And it's a picture in the beginning in Genesis, right? Verse 2, the Spirit of God is moving on the face of the waters. The Spirit of God has been moving constantly. You get in the middle of the tribulation, all of a sudden, no more wind. What's going on? God's given the world a strong delusion. He says, fine, you don't want me, I'll let you have the Antichrist. Satan falls and inhabits the the beast, he resurrects, and now you get what you want. And man, does all hell break loose, literally. And the last thing we really want is what we really want. (laughs) We really want what Jesus wants, and we really want what Jesus wants for us, if we know anything at all about God's character and what's good for us. Faith unfeigned is, is visible, that's point three. Those who are, are looking for it, uh, to those who are looking for it, I should say. So faith unfeigned, that's pure faith, is visible to those who are looking for it. In verse 5 in 2 Timothy 1, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, this is 2 Timothy 1, 5, uh, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also, that it's in thee also. So pure faith, people who have an undefiled faith, it's actually tangible. You can see that these people believe. Now that's important because I'm a, I'm one. I know you are too. Don't you love to see people who really believe? I think one of the reasons I've been propelled in ministry is because I I, I thirst to see people who don't just preach well. I look for people who believe what they preach, and that makes all the difference. I cannot stand just preaching for preaching's sake. If we don't believe it, then we we should just quit. 
and do God a favor. But we need to believe, we need to have faith that is unfeigned. It's a pure faith, it's a, it's a sincere faith. When we're sincere in our faith, Paul says, you know what, your faith, I see it, Timothy, it's unfeigned, faith unfeigned. Where'd you get that? Well, from Grandma Lois, right? Or Mother Eunice, however, I may have messed that up. Grandma Lois and Mother Eunice, right? It was visible in them and it's visible in you. You're the real deal, son. So you cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose your purity. Paul was concerned about this uh, among the saved uh, when he wrote to the church at Corinth and he likened them to a chaste virgin preparing herself for Christ's coming. And so you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your purity and, uh, of course, thereby lose your inheritance. So how do you? How do we measure up? That's the conclusion of the matter. Good place to stop. Uh, this is so important because uh, it's charity which sets, a, sets us apart from the world. In John thirteen thirty four, the Bible says, A new commandment, commandment give I unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. Remember, verse 5, now the end of the commandment is charity. He says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So we need to get it right, uh, get this right. Or the world and the Father, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, and the Father, let me restate this. We need to get this right, or the, the world that the Father loves will not receive the one Savior who can actually free them from the curse of the law, sin and death. So we are commanded to love the world in the sense that we give them the gospel. We don't love the world nor the things they're in, but we love people that are in the world enough uh, to give them uh, the gospel. We're commanded not to love the world itself in First John two fifteen, but we are commanded to love God so that we can love the world. He can love the world through us. So when you find that you love the, the world instead of God, you, what you'll find is you have swerved. Look at verse six. For some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. What we say is no longer useful because it's not going to be redemptive in the world in which we live. So, our relationship to the law is to be loving. Next week when we get back, we'll pick up point two. And uh, and that is where we will stop for tonight. Otherwise, else, I, have, I will have gone too far. So, and too long. And I know you all want to go home and watch the Chiefs. Who do they play tonight? Broncos. The Donkeys. All right. So, any Broncos fans here? You're in the right house. All right. Okay. Well, let's go ahead. Is there any questions? This is a, a good study, I think. I hope. Um, man, be someone who follows Jesus. That's the bottom line, and uh, with sincerity and love. And don't let your work, don't let our lives be phony, because that's uh, that would not be healthy. It is. I got to turn it off. This is just a pregnant pause for who, those that are listening. If you're in India, we love you and appreciate you. Okay. <laughs> you love that song? What song is that? <laughs>